Hey, Jim. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, it's a rainy Monday. I know. I love it. Yeah. It's a little cold for me, but it's been hot the last couple of days. Oh, yesterday was awful. Yes. So we just finished talking to Davina Smith. Right. I've never met her before, but I felt kind of connected to her because she was a parent up here in Salt Lake City Schools. And then now she is down in San Juan County. And I work with San Juan School District. So um, it was a really great conversation. Yeah, I agree. I think she has so much to offer. I mean, her list of credentials are just like wow. amazing. So you'll want to listen into that. And then she's running for legislature. And so she's got a lot on her plate. But she also has a perspective as a former, you know, Boarding school, Indian boarding schools, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the report that just came out from the Department of the Interior says that, you know, these, there were these boarding schools up through the 60s, even all across the country, and that there are these burial grounds associated with the boarding schools. They don't even know how many. Um, people were killed or kids were killed in those boarding schools it's just horrific and so you know for her to have had some of that experience and share that with us is great and I mean it's not great that she had the experience but it's great for her to share it with us and also you know I think just education for Indigenous youth is still uh, kind of in a crisis yeah there's yeah, I mean, I think the students themselves still are often invisible. Right. Um, and then, you know, we talked for a moment about social studies curriculum because in fourth grade, it's Utah studies. And uh, there's five different nations here in Utah. And who knows how well we, this, the standards actually represent their experiences. Right. So will you put a link? She's, she's, um, done a few documentaries so will you link those and then will you also link that report that came out about the mass graves in the boarding schools absolutely yes look at our show notes for all of those links and enjoy this wonderful interview with Davina Smith because um, we have a lot to learn about uh, indigenous education and you know no more no more uh, Indian costumes at Halloween I mean like come on or or Peter Pan, she talks about oh, that, this, yeah, which is so in, in itself problematic, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. When when you Enjoy. learn, more, you do better, right? What's that saying? When you know, you know do the best you can do, and when you know better, you do better. Right. That's Maya Angelou. Yeah. yeah. Not Jim Martin. Not Jim Martin. Okay. Here we go. Georgia, so <laughs> did you see my hair flowing? 
I'm like, yes. oh, it's like one of those videos, you know. I know it's very Vogue. Beyonce, girl, Beyonce. <laughs> That's great. No, what are you, I, what are you doing summer. in Georgia? I'm taking, I'm just right now just had to get away, take some time away from my campaign and work. I've been at it with my campaign since my announcement back in March. So this was the time because when I get back uh, this, I fly out on Saturday morning. I'm back right at it next week. Um, I've got a, a concert I'll be speaking at that's on my behalf. So I needed this this getaway. <laughs> nice. What part of Georgia are you in? I'm in Atlanta. Well, no, I'm in Jer- Jonesboro. Yeah, Jonesboro. So okay. I've got yeah, I've got family out here. So I was able to I spent with my cousin and I've got some other friends out in this area. So okay. I thought, you know, it'd be great just to get away. So Yeah. I went to Atlanta a couple of weeks ago with my best friend for my birthday and I'd never been there. I, I worked with, um, with the Savannah school district a lot, um, but I had never been in Atlanta and we just found this little gem of a neighborhood called Reynolds town. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, it was four days of pure delight. I will go back there in a heartbeat. Yeah. There are so many amazing little places. Um, I, also, so I work with the National Parks Conservation Association, and there is a state park or a national monument um, because there's a lot of state parks out here. So it's Okmulgee down, out in Macon, and um, National Parks Conservation Association worked with the tribes Cherokee in creating a more rich cultural narrative in that location. So I, when I went out there, I was just in awe, like, this is great. So it's a part my organization. We worked, you know, they worked on this. So it was great. That's awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, Davina, just, you know, who are you and Uh, what brought you to this moment in time? Well, uh, well, my name is Davina Smith. I'm from the Diné Nation. I'm um, from Monument Valley, Utah area. So I, I reside in San Juan County. And I like to say, because someone had coined this for me, is that I am a resemblance of a tumbleweed. Um, I go from place to place in terms of experiences. You know, I've done anything from working in education, um, that's K through 12 schools as the Title VII coordinator, working at the University of Utah, helping build the American Indian Teacher Training Program, then tumbleweed my way over to healthcare. And I worked at Forest Street Clinic, started as an eligibility specialist, but and worked my way up to become the supervisor of our front end um, of our clinic. And so then from there, oh, and also, advocated for Medicaid expansion, um, then went from there to, to work at a number of different nonprofits that, that ranged from um, working on missing, murdered Indigenous women, two-spirited um, relatives, and then um, land. My, my favorite, most favorite job ever is advocating for our land. So director of operations for Utah Denebikea, and which we focused on Bears Ears, on the um, implementation, of course, when it was rescinded on restoring it. And now I am a board member for Grand Staircase Escalante Partners. Um, so we're also bringing tribes to the table there in hopes of their um, continuing uh, support and input on their uh, tribal 
the code or the code management plan. And I work with the for the National Parks Conservation Association. I am the um, tribal coordinator um, liaison. So we are working on this area. It's one of the last protected areas near Bears Ears, which is current temporarily called the lands between. It's over 500,000 acres of rich ancestral Puebloan sites and um, for not only Pueblo, but also Hopi. And I'm also a co-founder of Women of Bears Ears and just recently appointed um, under the Department of Interior, Secretary Holland as one of the Bears Ears Advisory Committee members. Oh, and I'm running for Utah State House of Representatives and the new House District 69. (laughs) And do you have children of your own? I have four. I have four beautiful, beautiful babies. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sorry. Um, Yeah, two boys, two girls, 25, 24, 23, and 20 year olds. So I I am an empty nester. Oh my goodness. No wonder you need a break. That is like, (laughs) I couldn't even write it all down. Wow. That's incredible. You are doing some amazing work, Davina. Yes. I forgot to include also some documentary film work. Um, When I worked at the U, I had the um, privilege and honor of working with KUED, where we, um, where I was on working with Long Walk Tears of the Navajo documentary film. The We Shall Remain, my focus was on Navajo. And then um, our now, which is actually being shown or re-shown again because of the issues of boarding school is unspoken um native uh, america's native american boarding school so those were three documentary films that i had such a great time working on wow and that's one of the things we wanted to talk to you about today because i heard you on radio west and mm-hmm. your interview and so i thought maybe you could share a little bit about your experiences as a student, right, in mm-hmm. boarding schools, and then also just, you know, share a little bit about the report that just came out from the Department of the Interior. Right. Um, Wait, so- Davina, before you get into, like, the specifics of those experiences, can you, can I ask you just some basic questions? Because, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so I work in, with San Juan School District, and I go there multiple times a year, um, and I love going down there. So, just a couple questions. Like when I'm down there, I notice that most native folks refer to themselves as native. Whereas mm-hmm. like in the white woke world, you know, we always have this debate that it's supposed to be American Indian or native American or indigenous. Um, so that's one question I have is, is what is the most respectful um, terminology to use? Or is that irrelevant in the broad scheme of supporting American Indian. Um, well, I think, I mean, it's, it's going to be different. It will still be different across the board, but I, you know, for me, I always refer myself as a Deneth woman. Um, and so, or indigenous, you know, it, and so it really is, it really does, um, not Indian though. I will say, continues to say, don't refer us as Indian, you know, because okay. that brings a confusion of, you know, Indian, India, Indians. Yeah. And so, um, but I think it would be great to be identified as our tribe because mm-hmm. to this day, we still don't know the tribes in the United States. And I, 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 I'm sure they, in our, our school age children don't really know the tribes in Utah as well. 
-hmm. and the regions and locations. So I think, you know, it would be great. It's kind of like a history lesson to be mm -hmm. consistent on, on, you know, naming these tribes. So that's why I always say I'm from the Diné Nation. Okay. And then is it, is Navajo like a term that the American government gave your nation or what's the difference between Diné and Navajo? Navajo came from Spaniards. It was, it was first coined from Spaniards from Spain when they started coming to our region. And from there, it was, we're just known as Navajo. Back then it was spelled so differently. It was like, like N-A-V-A-H-O. And then it went to N-A-V-A-J-O. And so, but for me, you know, I'm like, I prefer Diné because that's okay. truly representing who I am. Okay. All right. Okay, hey, now tell us about your rich life experiences. <laughs> well, um, I started, so I started going to uh, mission school. Well, I went to Catholic school when I was in kindergarten. Um, it was in Tuba City. And so, and I feel this is something that my parents felt we like the next, their kids had to go to because both my, my parents are boarding school survivors. My father went to boarding school in Tuba City, and then he went on to Intermountain School in Brigham City, and then um, my mother went to Kanta boarding school. Then she was in the Indian Placement Program, and then she then went on into um, Intermountain Boarding School in Brigham City as well. So I think that played a key part in that mindset of, okay, well, I went to boarding school and it's something that is, it's strongly um, required. So my mom felt, okay, well, my kids need to go to boarding school. So me being the first, um, I went to Catholic school. And then um, after that, um, I then went on um, as I was a third grader went to mission school, Seventh-day Adventist mission school in Holbrook, Arizona. And that is where I had my first trauma, my ex experiences, you know, phys physically abused, sexually abused, and also bullied. Um, that is that, you know, that was very hard for me to really come out and talk about because also another thing is we, as those that are boarding school survivors, we were we didn't know who to talk to. We didn't have, you know, we had a guide, guidance counselor, a counselor, but it was someone that was not like indigenous that we can confide in. And if we were to talk to a counselor, you know, I'm sure that uh, we would be told, you know, that's ridiculous or it's in your head or something like that, or don't ever say that again. So this was, this is something also that was generationally um, implemented. So we never spoke out our feelings or, expressed ourselves so we always kept those within us and so I had that internalized for me for so long um, and and after mission school I, I went on to um, we briefly went to a public school because um, my mother was she realized she really let, had a passion for teaching so we went to public school for a short time like a year I think and then we went back to the reservation and then I went to Tuba City boarding school and there um, I had some family members there, but you know, I still, I remember also um, I stayed in the dorm rooms for 
um, several times. And there I also experienced um, sexual abuse. Um, but, you know, these were things that I internalized for so long. But and then not only for me, I, I saw firsthand some of my peers being harmed um, there, when I was at mission school in Holbrook, there was, we had, we had this little girls dorm. So we had the high school students, middle school students, the went, the girls were in that bigger dorm. And then we were in the little girls dorm. So it was like a, it was a big house and our rooms had like the three level bunk beds. And um, there we had just older girls than us, but they bullied us. And um, I think though they were, also wanting to get out of there they wanted to go home so there was this plan to run away and I know I I remember I was asked if I wanted to run away and you know after what I experienced being sexually abused I really wanted to so bad but then I had my younger sister right who was a year behind me and I was like well I can't leave her and I know she doesn't want to go because she's like she's way too young and and so she was just this innocent person in my mind, you know, that, and I wanted to protect her. I was in third grade and I already wanted, I had this fear of protecting her because of what I went through. So I, I said, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go. And they said, well, this is a good last chance. And so they were devising the plan. And then those that stayed, they said, well, you keep an eye out for us and don't, don't tattletale because if you do, you guys will get it. You know? So we were so frightened and scared and I remember breakfast, they, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to all pretend to walk to the cafeteria and they kind of veered off and I was walking. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And so I couldn't focus that whole day in class. I was like, then I started thinking, well, maybe they're home now because this, I, I bet it was just like a few heels over and they're now they're home, you know, back with their family. And then, so I had this feeling of like regret, like I should have gone, but by noon, we got word that they were found and I was like, Oh my gosh. And so then when I came back, back to the dorm, we got back to the dorm after school, we saw them and our dorm mother said, you know, don't, you guys can't talk to them. Don't talk or else if you do, you guys will get the paddle. And so we were afraid, but I, I looked at them and they just, they looked so worn out. They looked like they were beaten, whatever it was, was beaten out of them and finally about a few days later we were able to talk to them and they showed me their legs and their arms and their back and they had they were whipped with um like electrical cords so you could see like some of them had some deep um grooves in in them and so I guess and most likely it was also to show us you know this is what happens if you guys ever run away so it was, it was, it was really crazy. Um, another about being bullied and this happened where, um, also stories of other older students that have also, um, you know, I don't know how long, but there are stories I've heard where other older students had also beaten or bullied the younger kids. Um, there was, in other, uh, cases like across the U S and other boarding schools. But for me, um, when we'd come into, oh, there were, they would always, there was a code where it's like, oh, we're going to go play our game. 
And when I knew what that meant, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't want to do this. But the doorma was like, oh yeah, go ahead, go in your rooms and play your game. They would get these pillowcases, take off the pillowcases and tie them to like a, look like a rope. And they would have us younger girls stand in the middle of the, the, the bedroom as we're looking up into the light. And um, they would tie this pillowcase around us until we were ready to pass out. And that's how they got their fun and their giggles, you know, by seeing us pass out. So when, and I always, always stepped in for my sister because I didn't want her to, I didn't want her to go through that because you see, you know, one of your peers and they're passed out, you freak out. It's like, oh my gosh, is she dead? You know, but for the older girls, they were just, they would laugh, you know, and thought that was funny and they wake them up. And I was like, oh my gosh. So then. I didn't want that happening to my sister. So I I always vouch for her and say, I, I will, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I don't know how many times I've been, you know, choked or confiscated to where I pass out. So those are some, yeah. And some trauma. of these schools are still open, right? Yes. Some of these schools are still open. And I feel it's now to a point where they do not implement, of course, that the, kill the Indian, save the man motto that was first implemented in boarding schools. Um, a lot has changed. Then we have Department of Interior Secretary Holland. That's why she implemented this secretarial order of um, Indian Boarding School Act and where they do, are doing extensive research and cases across the U.S. Um, on these boarding schools of the children that have gone missing or have um, the, these mass graves that are unmarked or marked, um, and then uh, collecting a lot of story, a lot of, um, information, you know, across the board. So what do you think would have been the long-term impacts of these boarding schools on, you know, I feel the, the long-term population across the country? I think, I mean, a lot has happened. And I mean, in terms of, the our impacts one thing is um we talk about this prison to pipeline we talk about um this fear of the education system feeling that they have the power um but because these were things that were instilled in us even law enforcement i remember there has been times when i was a, a child my mother would tell me my kids or me my sisters to hide you know and there was a police officer that she saw driving across she would say oh get down get down there's a there's a policeman so she instilled that fear in us when we saw law enforcement but it was law enforcement that rounded up our children to go to boarding schools and so um and also with the education system like I said you know we as my parents felt the education system they thought had power to do what they wanted to do and so um, I know when I became more informed and aware of the school system, I, it was, it was, I tell you, it was like an eye opener. It's like, wait, power, parents have power. No way we have power, you know? And so I took that on a different level when my kids were in um, Salt Lake School District and you know, there was a time when my, my oldest daughter went to do a play at Clayton uh, Middle School, and it was on Peter Pan. 
And so I wanted to be involved. So I said, I'll go to parent night, you know, and see what, how I can do to, to get involved with the committee, parent committee. And I remember sitting there and they were handing us out papers of each of the, the agenda of the play. And there was one area, it was like uh, the squaw girls. I'm like, excuse me, you know, I'm looking around like, does anyone else see this? And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to say anything yet until, you know, we're done with our meeting. We're in the auditorium, the theater. And so the two directors are up front, like, okay, parents, we're going to, you know, we have, we need help in this area. We need help in this area. Oh, and also now we're going to go into our squad girls. We need help in, in that area for our squad dancers. And, you know, she kept going on and on and saying that word. I'm like, oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? These are, these are grown women. And, and this was like seven it, years ago, right? I mean, this is not yeah. a long time ago. And and it just, I'm like, they should know this is, you know, I was just, I was, I didn't even know what to say. I was speechless. So afterwards, I go up when it, and when the meeting ended, I went up to them. I said, hi, I'm, you know, my, I told my daughter's name and everything and like, oh my gosh. I'm like, oh, great. Don't tokenize her. You know, don't do that. Right. Tokenize us. And it's like, oh, we're so glad she's a part of this. I said, hold on. I'm going to make a request and it's a strong request that that word that you all just said be removed because it's the, the most derogatory, misogynistic word that, you know, I said, I, I thought you all would know this, but I'm going to have to educate you and let you know this is an inappropriate word on so many levels. I said, it's equivalent to saying to a black person, the N word and their mouths dropped and they're like, Oh my goodness, I am so sorry. And then they were talking about this drum thing. So I'm like, and the drum, you know, so I got, I got our then uh, title seven um, Indian ed director involved and she, you know, came in and we had to sit down with the principal. So that was the first of many. And it was to a point where my kids are like, they, they would now, you know, open up and say, yeah, mom, it was so hard to like, tell you something because we knew you would go there, but, but it was (laughs) a new relief form of power. Maybe it was also because of what I went through and, and, and that's why I went into education as well, because I wanted to make sure our Indian students didn't feel that way. I wanted to ensure that our, that the parents, that they knew that they had the right. They have every right to make sure that their child has the best education. And I wanted, I wanted to be that bridgeway, you know, working with the district, working with counselors, um, working we, in Salt Lake City, we have um, the, the uh, Indian Health Center. And there they have counseling. I, I told the district, I said, to make sure that our children are supported with counseling and such, I'll, I highly recommend that we build some form of bridge with this with the Indian Walk-In Center because our our native students need to go there you know because some have expressed it was so hard for them to engage with counselors and so um so I I went yeah I I wanted to make sure that we it was known that parents had to have that power and voice to get involved yeah Will you talk a little bit about the Indian placement program? I don't know if there's a lot of people outside of Utah that know about that. Um, And we actually had a boy come live with us for three years. I grew up in Orem, Utah. 
I think he came for three years, maybe two years. So the Indian placement program, I believe, was implemented, I want to say maybe 50s, 60s. And the, the goal of it was, um, so in, in, in the Mormon history, you know, we talk about Lamanites. We talk about how our, our, the color of our skin was, turned, was a different color because we were not pure or, you know, we were not of the right um, so I guess the right path to, to what would be the celestial kingdom. So that was why we were marked with brown skin. And so for natives, it was, that was where, you know, we need to, we need to bring natives into our homes. And there was a relative that talked to me about, she's now in her sixties. Um, she talked to me about when she first went, um, it was her mother was basically um, kind of like given false information. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe they're missionaries or I'm not really sure who, but they were from the church and they said, they told her that, oh, we'll bring your daughter back. You know, we just, we have this great program and we think it'll be, it'll be fun, you know, and so she ended up getting on the bus along with all a number of terrified, other terrified um, native kids on the reservation. And um, she remembers that the trip was so long and she ended up waking up what looked like big warehouses, she said. And she remembers going through like the, these different processes of where one area they were dipped and I guess maybe dipped to remove any maybe they thought we had body lice or whatever the case may be. So it was like animals. We were dipped in this process and then they were given, we were given clothes and they clothed us. And then there were, they were given names and um, families would come and they would work with families to take them into the home. And I've always wanted to do a documentary film on this, but you know, when I contacted the church, they, they basically, didn't want to work with me and so um so those that I have engaged felt like this was more like they were their place primarily for being a maid in their home um and of course being baptized going to church and also experiencing physical abuse some have expressed have have shared um sexual abuse, um, a number of forms of uh, emotional abuse. Um, and then there, of course, there will be others that have said it was the best thing, best thing for me. You know, Mm. I came from a home where I, I needed to get away. So it's a bit of both, you know, but, Mm. and I, 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 I definitely wish nothing but the best for those that have had the best, best experience, but I cannot forget those that did not have a good experience. Um, and so my parent, my, my mother was a part of the Indian placement program. Um, my father likes to say a joke. Uh, He wasn't in the Indian placement program, but, um, there was a meeting he had gone to locally in our County, San Juan County. And, uh, he introduced himself and he said, you know, I am, I am 
want to let all of you know I'm by far the most Mormonist person than, than you all. And I was like thinking, what? And I, and he was, yeah, I said that to them. He said, I'm a direct descendant. I've been baptized more than eight times and I'm direct descendant of Joseph Smith. My name is Roy Smith. I'm like, oh my gosh, dad. <laughs> but it's like, for me, I'm like eight times. He's like, yeah, they would come around and baptize me eight times. And same with Catholic. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, what does this tell you? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know my dad can make light of it now, but at the time, you know, he couldn't. And so, but yeah, so that was kind of a brief history of the, the, the LDS placement program. And so, but I know over time, I think it ended like in the, maybe the mid or late nineties. Yeah. So just, I remember hearing a, um, like on the NPR or something about it. Um, there was a report on it. Yeah. And I was surprised that it was still going as late as it was. Mm -hmm. <sighs> what should educators be doing to, you know, I mean, what is the current state of indigenous education across the country? And um, I mean, schools are still pretty assimilationist even today. Um, you know, we expect kids to kind of hold the line and to conform um, but just, you know, what, what do you see and what are the needs and what should educators be doing? And there's a lot wrapped up in that question, but what should we be doing to support I mean, Indigenous I youth? think, I think a lot, uh, definitely teachers need to be formed. I mean, continue to educate themselves on our history. Um, I know when I, when I, um, had, we completed Unspoken, we actually had, a training done at the school district. I can't remember the, the, the name of the training, but I showed unspoken and it was, I had a two hour slot and I remember it was right before lunch, but right after it had ended, I had several um, white teachers that came up with this, like, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Like, it was just like this frantic, like, what do I do? How do I change this? How, what, would he, what do we need to do? It's like, well, let's go have lunch. And then that's part two, you know, but it's like, I don't want to say like, oh my goodness, and you're an educator. Well, we need to continue to educate ourselves so we can educate our younger, you know, our children. Um, that's one thing is continuously educate yourself because there are so many books out there. There are so many more um, um, in-depth curriculum that, that um, teach on a lot of um, like BIPOC history. Um, and I know one issue is, our, is the critical race theory. I know that's an ongoing issue. Um, and that is something I hope to bring or to shed light in my campaign or you know when I do the goal is for me to win as Utah State House of Representative and I want to talk about that I want to educate and and bring out why it's important to have critical race theory it's almost as if like we don't have it then I no longer exist like the tribes in Utah don't exist the the other histories that pertain to our communities of color no longer exist. And so are we again, wanting to erase that and to remove that because there's this guilt. I mean, we need a right or wrong to begin that healing process. Mm -hmm. So 
and there are there are so many more books now being um, written by indigenous authors and non-indigenous like you know our black community asian there's so many i mean i've seen so many books that i can't even recall and i'm like oh my gosh this is so wonderful to see these type of books um do you have any so, favorites oh there's this one it's still to my to my, my favorite to this day it's um sing down the moon it's about um a little long walk mm-hmm. um a what a young girl who is who had experienced that to this day that's my favorite that's it makes me cry every time um I bet there's so many more you know and of, of course seeing what um the uh U.S. Department of Indian Education they've ramped up as well um implementing more of curriculum more like videos and a lot more books and I know Secretary Holland is working a lot with the Bureau of Indian Education as well to bring more of an updated form of curriculum through that process. Um, Do you think the, do you think the social studies standards, like I know in fourth grade is Utah studies. Do you think that, that those standards need to be rewritten to be more honest? I do. I really do. I, I absolutely do. It does. It definitely needs to be, to be looked at and redone. Um, so is that something you'd be interested in, in doing? Like, how does, how could that take place? Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely would like to work with the Utah Department of Education. Um, we have such an amazing, um, we have so many amazing educators. I mean, not only like our Title Seven programs, but we have other um, educators of color that have done so many amazing things in their classrooms I think that's important to include them in these in the the conversations um but again that's where I feel they're not being um implemented or used in that Mm -hmm. in that respect to be a part of that creation okay But also I feel there's a lot of data, a lot of studies showing also, you know, we talk, we continuously talk about um, the worry and of our and stressors and frustration of our prison, the pipeline. I think, I know in, in my, in my community, that is something that's still ongoing. I mean, there is still an ongoing issue, especially on our Utah reservations or the schools there. So I'm talking about San Juan County. You know, we have um, two major towns, which is Blanding and Monticello. And when we talk about grants, I mean, I'm so glad I had the opportunity of knowing or learning how to write a grant. I am so, so excited. I, I've learned that because now I'm able to look at how grants were written here in the school district or in Salt Lake or in San Juan County. It's, it's so frustrating because I'm seeing where the dollars are going and it's not primarily going to where it should be down on our Utah, on our Navajo reservations in Utah. Um, I'm also hearing like some, some employees are talking about they're receiving hand-me-downs from Monticello or Blanding. You know, we're talking about equipment. We're talking about these for art, for the children. And they're getting hand-me-downs, 
you know? And so I'm like, are you kidding me? That we, there's so many grants fundings out there that we could apply for. Well, okay, let me back up. I just said that we have reapply for grants, but it needs to go to all the schools equally. Yeah. Well, not equally, I guess. Or of course, per, per, equitably. Yes. Yes. Equitably. And so, um, and so I hope to be involved with that, those conversations as well. Um, because I see far too long, we have high teacher turnover. Um, we have teachers that come out of, from different locations. And when they get to like, say Monument Valley, it's a culture shock. And they're like, oh my gosh, I am not used to this. I only, I'm sorry. I'm going to be here until the new year's after that. I'm out the door again, who's being impacted by that. It's our children again, you know? So yeah, there's changes that need to happen. Um, is that yeah. failure of the, the preparation programs and, you know, preparing our teachers, future teachers for culturally relevant work or what, what's the problem? You know, why aren't our teachers better prepared for that kind of a setting? I feel like it's, I mean, they could be prepared, but I think it's our, it's at our district level. It's our district level that really are not focused on our Utah Navajo, our Utah natives down in San Juan they're not focused on that they're it's it's they're focused more on the opportunities for their community like in say in blandy um and i'm gonna be upfront and honest about that i've seen it my mother who is a language teacher for over 30 years she just retired she would tell me so many things that were happening with that school district and i also have a lot that were former teachers and they said it's 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 horrible that we that this district is failing our our native children over and over, you know, and I I'll say even to when I was there. And so it has to change at that district level. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm running because we need to make some changes. Who are you? How many people are in the running? Um, my, it's my, I'm the only Democrat and my opponent who's been there for four years. And so that's who I'm running against. And so, so with your platform, you have educational issues. Are there any other big, I mean, obviously I would assume land conservation and protection is another part of your platform. Yes. Um, housing, we have how we have, gosh, well, let's talk about Moab. You know, there's a big housing issue where we have second homeowners and turn around that home into an Airbnb or they, you know, rake up the price to ridiculous prices. And um, so there is a shortage, you know, in our housing across the board in our district. For me, you know, I, I, so grateful and glad. Yes, I'll say it. I live back home with my parents. I've been on the wait list of the two apartments in Blanding for a year now. And so, so, you know, um, so I'm renting out my old, my old high school bedroom. Um, I said, I don't want, you know, I'm going to help out. So I said, I'll rent out. Um, But no, it's, it's telling to say that, you know, and I'm going to, so I'm going to be upfront and honest and say, this is an issue. Housing is, is definitely an issue. Yeah. Um, jobs, jobs is, is also another issue. You know, we have companies that come out from out of state and do these big bids on projects and 
we're not giving a chance to our local people. And mm. so, and also our wages, I, I definitely would like to increase our wages because, you know, we have so many hard workers and with, by the time they get their paycheck, it's not enough to cover what they need, especially when they, if also when they have families. So there's a lot on um, water, water is another big issue as well. So there's so many, so much. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I would vote for you if I was in your career. <laughs> I'm convinced, and I hope that um, I hope you win. But it was really just great talking to you today about all of the things that our Indigenous youth and populations have gone through and continue to go through even today, and all of our challenges. And um, you know, I just I hope we can start to to really focus in on those needs more as school, as a school system. Right. I hope so too. I hope to make, and I mean, you've had some amazing representatives as well up in that area. You have, you know, representative Sandra Hollins, Romero Escamilla, um, and Joel Briscoe, you know, they're all, I think Joel has, is a background as a history teacher, I believe. So, you know, there are so many amazing representatives and I'm, I hope to come in and join and be that voice as well. Our district, our new district, as I was told not long ago, is equivalent to size of it is equivalent to um, West Virginia. So wow, it's, it's five counties. You know, got part of Emory. We have all of Grand County. We have our San Juan County. We have Wayne Garfield. Um, I'm missing another in Kanab, that area. So okay. So we have quite yeah, a bit. I that's have a lot of people you'd be representing. Yes, yes. Well, yes. you are very personable and you have some great life experiences that um, I think are unique and uh, have allowed you to have a perspective that, you know, really speaks to a broad range of people. Mm-hmm. And we're so grateful that you'd, you'd take time to talk work, talk shop, even though you're supposed to be in Georgia <laughs> relaxing. So thank you so much for being with us no worries i and i thank you all for inviting me here um i i appreciate it so much so thank you you too thank you yes i'm gonna try and somehow continue and get out of this humidity (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you so much